Morning, church. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, specifically this morning. Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. If you didn't know this, I want to let you know that baseball season is officially here. We had four baseball games yesterday uh, throughout the day. Uh, Pitchers, catchers, they've long reported we're into two, three weeks of pro baseball spring training. College baseball is going strong here. And at the end of March, the beginning of April, it'll be opening day for Major League Baseball. Baseball is my favorite sport growing up. It's my favorite sport as an adult. I didn't have a long celebrated career by any stretch of the imagination. When I played, I played catcher. I batted up and down the lineup with one exception, I never batted leadoff. Never batted leadoff. Uh, 25 years ago, the leadoff hitter was uh, twofold, uh, responsibility-wise. One was that he, if she, even softball, had the best eye, best eye on the team. You'd put the leadoff. Uh, not only would you have the best eye, but usually you'd be the fastest person on the team. And I certainly didn't have the best eye, and I can assure you I wasn't the fastest person on any team that I played. So batted up and down the lineup, never batted leadoff, but the leadoff hitter then and now is essential to the game. If you can get your leadoff hitter on and he or she can get around the bases and score, it sets the tone for the game. The way a game goes oftentimes starts with that leadoff hitter. The leadoff hitter at the beginning of the game, the leadoff hitter at each inning of the game. I tell you that because the passage that you've turned to in your copy of God's Word is a leadoff hitter type of passage. Uh, This parable that you're looking at, the parable of the sower, is the first substantive parable in Mark's gospel, the parable of the sower. It actually, when you expand out of Mark's gospel, when you look at Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, what scholars call the synoptic gospels, guess what? The leadoff hitter in Matthew's gospel, the leadoff hitter in Luke's gospel, the first parable in all three of those gospels is what we have turned to here. It's one of the few parables that Jesus gives an extended interpretation of. So there's something about this parable that sets the tone in many ways of how we read and how we interpret the parables in all Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Read with me in your copy of God's Word, starting in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 4. Again, he, he being Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Notice the buttressing 
at the beginning of this parable in verse 3 with that exclamation point of listen. Notice how it has buttressed at the end where Jesus tells us, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the emphasis of this parable is upon the hearing of God's word and the heeding of God's word. The context of it that Matthew gives us in Uh, excuse me, Mark gives us in Mark chapter 4, is that Jesus is teaching, Jesus is healing, Jesus is exercising demons, he has drawn a crowd. That crowd has led him to the seashore, the Sea of Galilee. The crowd is so large that for Jesus to be heard, he gets into a boat and it becomes a floating pulpit. He utters this parable, one of the favorite literary genres that we have of Jesus' teaching. When you add up the different parables of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have 60 different stories, stories that illustrate for us kingdom values, stories that illustrate for us what is the kingdom of God and how can you and me and those original hearers become citizens of that kingdom. Now in this parable, he utters it in the uh, passage that I've just read to you and what we discover in verse 10 and 11 and 12 is that the disciples heard Jesus's word and were absolutely confounded. What does this mean? They came to him and asked privately. Jesus says, you remember in your Old Testament, you remember in Isaiah chapter 6, that as Isaiah was commissioned to go forth and proclaim that prophetic word that God told him, even in his commissioning, that he would uh, speak the word and be at times rejected. So Jesus identifies himself and his words with the prophet Isaiah and says, I am going to scatter the seed. The seed is the word of God and not all of the seeds are going to fall on receptive ground, receptive fertile soil. After verse 11 and 12, Jesus gives us an extended interpretation. Verses 15 through 20, we read of what this passage means. So he answers the original question of the disciples that the disciples said, what does it mean? And so we read in verses 15 through 20, the interpretation of this parable that intersects your life and it intersects my life because each of us in this room at times in our life or very well might be right now are these types of hearts. The seed is the word of God. The ground that it falls upon represents the state of our heart. There are four types of hearts that the seed of God's word can fall on this morning. And the first that Jesus tells us about in verse 15 is a hard heart, a hardened heart. Verse 15, read along with me. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Uh, Some of you have an agrarian background enough to be able to immediately imagine what Jesus is talking about in this parable. Some of you grew up on farms. If you didn't, you need to understand this is a familiar image to everyone that Jesus is talking to. There's no one who would have heard of the seashore, the Sea of Galilee, what Jesus was talking about, and not immediately thought of the, those long Palestinian uh, farmer's fields that had these narrow strips, and in between each of those narrow strips where sprouts would grow up, you would have these hardened paths, hardened by the farmers who walked up and down those paths again and again, uh, hardened by the, the hooves of the animals that go up and down those paths, as hard as concrete, as hard as asphalt, again and again, the repetition of stomping upon it. So you have the farmer that, that scatters the seed. 
And some of the seed falls upon that hard ground, and it just bounces along the path, never to take root. Sometimes it, it bounces along the path, and the, the very wind takes it into its wind, and it just blows away in the wind. But it doesn't take root, Jesus says in this very parable here, that, that Satan uses this to his advantage to still kill and destroy, to not allow the person to be able to hear the very gospel message and to receive it. Because he is the enemy who wants nothing more than to get as a barrier in between the word of God taking root in your life and in my life. Now what hardens the path of your heart? How can your heart be hardened like this? How how can the, the path of the heart of a loved one be hardened like this? Well, it comes in a lot of different manifestations. Sometimes it's just the disappointments of life. Life hasn't turned out like you thought it would and how you felt it should. Sometimes trials come your way, and trials at times can draw us to our knees in dependence upon Him. At other times, trials can have the effect to make us bitter and hardened to God, and we turn not to Him, but we turn away from Him. And over time, our heart is hardened by life circumstances. Sometimes it's hardened by doubt. That can happen. You grow up exposed again and again and again and again to the gospel, and it becomes like the teacher in Charlie Brown that just says, wah, 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 and it becomes that white noise. You know it, but it's not penetrating your heart. Maybe you think of faith as something that was important, sort of like a fairy tale that was entertaining as a child, but as an adult, you outgrow your childish ways. Maybe you have been buttressed by a skeptic's book that you've read, maybe one or two, and begins to doubt the validity of the resurrection and authenticity of Scripture, and you say, there it is. The whole thing's a fairy tale. So instead of placing your faith in the Word of God, you place your faith, you're having to place faith somewhere, in the words of that skeptic. Faith it is, both the same, though. And your heart, maybe by doubt, maybe by disappointment that turns into disillusionment, ultimately becomes hardened. I was on a flight, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago. We are headed to Phoenix. It was a Southern Baptist convention I was flying to, so that meant our plane was full of Baptist preachers, which is the start of a really bad joke. It really is. I know that. <laughs> The person that was sitting in front of me, I don't know if he was a pastor or not, had sort of that gregarious personality, so I sort of assumed that he was, immediately struck up a conversation with a young lady that was sitting next to him. They were at the runway, we were at the runway, we were beginning to taxi to take off, and the conversation went down familiar terrain. I mean, you can imagine, what do you do for a living? Why are you headed to Phoenix? Do you live there? Are you working there? And so it was a very cordial conversation. He pivoted the conversation, and he asked a very pointed question. He said, if we take off and this plane doesn't get us to Phoenix, are you sure of your eternal destination? I just want to say, I I praise God for anyone who shares their faith. It is always such an encouragement to me. My first instinct when I get on a plane is not to talk to the person to my left or to my right, but to pull out a book. I mean, that's my, so so I'm a safe preacher to sit by on the plane right there. So 
But this preacher is doing what God commands him to do, to scatter the seed. Now, it was interesting. There's a lot of ways that you can start a gospel-centered conversation. I would say that is a pretty intense way. I I was buckling my seatbelt even tighter right there, thinking, what if it does go down? I know where I'm going, but I don't want to go this way. And then there was a little kid, maybe five years old, six years old, looks up at his mom and says, Mom, are we all going to die on this plane right here? So that did not happen. The conversation did. The kid wasn't there, though. So, okay, you're back to where I was saying. Now, she immediately, she immediately, no hesitation, looked at him and said, I don't want to have anything to do with your God. This conversation is over. And it was. I read this passage. And her, in that conversation, it just comes to my mind. Sometimes the seed is scattered. And I don't know if it was doubt. I don't know if it was hurt. I don't know if it was uh, disappointment in life. But, but something had occurred, and there was a hardness to her heart in that moment. And she was resistant to any conversation about the claims of Christianity. So what did I do? On that plane, I I didn't try to till up the ground of her heart. That pastor didn't. I prayed for her. And and even now, God brings her to mind. Because you know, the only way that the seed of salvation can be planted in a hard heart is not for you with the right argument, tilling the ground of that hard heart. The only one who can plant that seed in a hard heart is the Holy Spirit himself. Now, you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. We pray for, we love children, co-workers, neighbors. We treat them with respect. We treat them with dignity. We scatter the seed, and we love and care for them. But ultimately, only God can do that kind of heart work. Sometimes the seed is scattered, and it falls on hard hearts. It did for Jesus. He scattered the seed of God's word and it fell on the hearts of scribes and Pharisees that ultimately would say, crucify him. It fell upon his own brothers who said in his earthly ministry, he is a maniac. He is a lunatic. So do not be surprised if the seed of God's word being sown in the hearts, even in his life, would fall upon hard hearts, so will it in our life. Maybe That's the state of your heart this morning. It's not the only option, though. It can be a a hard heart that the seed falls upon, but at times it can be a shallow heart that it falls on. Look, Look with me in verses 16 through 17. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Again, it's important to understand Jesus' original context in that Palestinian agricultural world that there were rocky places. All of Palestine had this thin veneer of soil that oftentimes is two to three inches deep, and under it is this limestone bedrock. So what can happen at times is a seed can fall on a place, and the sun shine down upon it, and the water begin to, to do its work, and that seed sprouts. 
but the roots begin to grow deeper. And guess what? It doesn't have anything to grow into. It immediately, as it gets past two inches or three inches, the roots spread into that limestone bedrock. The sun scorches it and it dies because the roots can't grow. It's shallow ground. Jesus says that can be how the word is scattered in your heart, in my heart. It, it can be that we have a superficial experience of the gospel. It can be that the seed of God's word is sown in shallow soil. And we pray a prayer, we raise a hand, we open our eyes, we walk an aisle, we're baptized. But we don't understand the gospel. We want the benefits of the gospel. We want the benefits of Jesus, but we really don't want to take up our cross. We want his promises that we think are, are connected to salvation. So we think we're getting a ticket, a ticket to sunny days. We think the gospel at times is illness-free life, disappointment-free life, trial-free life, and then trials strike, illness strikes, disappointment strikes. And we realize that our seed has been planted in shallow soil. And the sprout of our quote-unquote profession, it, it goes away because of the adversity of life. That can happen. That can happen with our loved ones. That can happen when we reduce the gospel to something that is a false gospel. And someone makes a quote-unquote decision, but they don't understand the truthfulness of the gospel, and it's superficial, and it's shallow, and it doesn't penetrate to the depth of one's will, to the depth of one's heart, to the depth of one's will. So there's a shallow response. Saving faith, my friends, endures. Saving faith always produces the fruit of repentance and obedience. It digs down deep into our hearts. It takes root at a very deep place. It's not something that we just pass by, but ultimately it's something that captures our heart. Salvation is not just us desiring prosperity on earth without taking up a cross and denying self and following him on earth. That's shallow ground, shallow heart. But it's not only just a hard heart or a shallow heart that the seed of the Word of God can be scattered to, but there's also, there's a sense in which a crowded heart can be your heart and my heart. Notice again in verses 18 through 19, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the Word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and do what? You see it there. It chokes the word, and it proves unfair, unfruitful. So here you have the sower casting seeds and, and throwing the seeds in, indiscriminately, and it, and it falls into a place where thorns are being able to, to grow up, and those thorns compete for the nutrients of those seeds. And as those sprouts grow, they're entangled with the thorns. They're entangled with what is, is capturing them, and ultimately they die away. What Jesus says, in your life and in my life, we can crowd out the work of the Holy Spirit. And it isn't evil things at times. They're good things that we want to make ultimate things. Jesus lists them here, the worries of life, deceitfulness of riches, desires of the things of this world. The things that we need to consider in life, isn't it? We, we don't just go through life carefree. We have to ponder things, and that 
pondering at times can, can lead us to anxiety, to lead us to worry. The, the material blessing that God blesses us with it, at times is a, is a good thing, but it can become an ultimate thing. The things of the world that God has blessed us with can become an idol to us. It's when we give our heart's affection to ultimately what cannot sit on the throne of your heart and my heart. Only Jesus qualifies for that place. And what we want to do is put little gods, the gods of this world, the gods that are all around us that desire to ultimately choke out. So we make good things, ultimate things, and we're giving our devotion and our adoration to what doesn't deserve our devotion or our adoration. I heard the story of a young lady who was being proposed to by her boyfriend. They had dated for years and years, so people around them, their friends and their family members, saw this day coming, so it was met with just tremendous excitement. The young man knelt before his uh, bride-to-be in his mind and said, Darling, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in this world. I want you to marry me. You know I'm not rich, though. I don't have a yacht. I don't have a Lamborghini like Johnny Brown does, but this I can give you, my heart. There's a tear floating down her cheek. She looked at the love of her life and said, Honey, I love you with all of my heart. I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but before I say I do, tell me a little bit more about Johnny Brown. can't worship two masters. We can't give our heart to two masters. If we're not careful, we want to treat Jesus like an expert consultant. An expert consultant that we have on retainer. That we can call on him when life is difficult. We can call on him when we're perplexed. But we don't want him in our life on a daily basis. Because we can do it on our own. But hopefully, he's on retainer. We can reach out to him and he's there for us. But that's all we want. The benefits without the cross. A relationship on our terms. And he says to us, I desire to be not an expert consultant but to be your master and your Lord. It can fall on, the word of God can fall on a crowded heart. It can fall on a shallow heart. It can fall upon a hard heart or church. It can fall on a cultivated heart. A word that falls upon your heart and my heart, that ultimately desires to see it planted and grow. Jesus talks about this in verse 20. But those that were sown on the ground of this good soul are the ones who hear the word. Notice again the repetition in verse 20. Hear the word and accept it, and it bears fruit. The fruit bears forth in 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Here Jesus is saying, that there can be good ground, good dirt, that the word of God is planted in and the seed is planted and it grows and the fruit is brought forth and it's abundant harvest, a harvest of a life that is changed. 
with the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, the very things that Paul talks about in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, which is evident to those who are closest to us and those who get to know us. It is the evidence of a life that has changed. How do we bear good fruit? We hear the word and we heed the word. We listen to the word and we live the word. We're not just hearers only, but we're doers of the word. This makes all the difference. Do you know Eric Winnenmeyer? 2001, he joined this elite group of people. Since 1924, they've been keeping up with how many people have summited Mount Everest, 29,000 feet. You know how many? Around 5,000. Approximately 5,000 people have done that. Since 1924, 90% of those who try to climb to the highest peak to peak of, of Mount Everest, guess what? They don't make it. 324 people have attempted that, and they've died in their attempt. Eric Winnemeyer joined an elite group of people, but he was the first person ever summited Mount Everest, who was completely blind. At the age of 13, he had a degenerative eye disease. He hasn't seen since. You know, do you know how he did that? The, the person that was on the climbing crew that was right in front of him had a bell on him, and Every time he would step, that bell would ring. And so the entire time, Eric would hear and heed the bell. That whole climbing crew would offer these types of life-giving instructions. A death fall two feet to your right. Don't step that way. And he would hear and heed their word. Every time. He had his pick. He slammed it into that ice. He would feel the steadiness of it and know where to place his weight. He heard and he heeded. He listened and he lived. I doubt that many of you in this room have an expedition planned in 2020 to join that elite group of 5,000 that have summited Everest. But all of us have the summit that is as equally perilous. It is a journey called life. And do you, do you know what makes all the difference? Not only hearing the word, but heeding the word. Not only listening to the word, but allowing it to shape your every step. Let us be not just hearers, but doers of the word. Let us pray. So God, we come to you this morning desiring to hear and heed your word, to listen closely to the way that your word intersects our life on a daily basis, to be obedient to your word, to sit under your word, allowing it to shape our daily existence. We pray that you would cultivate the soul of our heart so there would be true, lasting growth, growth of repentance and obedience, the very fruit of the Spirit. 
We pray this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen.